Thanks for tuning in to Mysteries of the Mind, a podcast revealing the way our unconscious minds shape our lives. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Bader. I want to talk today about something that I think is a plague in modern life, and that's cynicism. I see cynicism everywhere, from my consulting room to my political work. The cynicism, you see, has several meanings. It operates at several different levels. It's sometimes defined as, quote, an inclination to believe people are motivated purely by narrow self-interest. Well, you know, if that's the case, then obviously cynicism is absolutely ubiquitous in our society. Our culture is riddled with a celebration of self-interest, after all. Our ethos of rugged individualism and the belief that America is a meritocracy really end up being fig leaves for an underlying cynicism that leads us to think that it's normal for everyone to be out for him or herself. But cynicism can also be a highly private affair. The psychological, the more personal level or heart of cynicism involves the belief that the way things are is the way they're supposed to be. So let me repeat that. It's the belief that the way things are is the way they're supposed to be. That what's normal is also good or even moral. That's why no one will ever admit to being cynical. After all, they're simply being realistic. The reality that's familiar is the way reality is supposed to be, so goes the cynical belief. The familiar is inevitable. It's fixed and fated to be that way. And people who think otherwise are unrealistic or utopian, and in the end are made to look and feel foolish. It's easy then to see the connection between personal and political cynicism. The individual belief that his or her psychological experience of the world is normal, necessary, and inevitable is mirrored by citizens' belief that the broader arrangements of economic and political power are also themselves normative, fixed, and fated to be. Now, here's how I see cynicism working in my clinical practice. Give you an example. A woman recently tells me that there are simply no decent men around, and that's why she's so damn lonely. Oh, and she makes sure I know that this belief is realistic, and it's not irrational. After all, all her girlfriends agree. This is a good example of a cynical personal belief, because, of course, what was also going on here is that she experienced herself and had always experienced herself as basically undesirable. And she was terrified of making herself vulnerable and of being rejected. These beliefs were formed in her earliest years. Now, she wasn't completely wrong in her observations about the number of healthy and available men around. The problem was that she took a partial truth and made it into a black and white totality. And this is often the case with cynical beliefs. And see, you know, that's what makes cynicism so hard to see and confront because it uses some truth 
to construct an attitude, a worldview that is still, in the end, fundamentally distorted and irrational. Another example, a depressed man I saw spent a fair amount of time in therapy making what he hoped was a convincing case for why he was victimized by his wife, his employer, and his friends. And the examples he offered up to me did indeed seem pretty painful, and the relationships he described did seem you know, filled with a lot of inequities. But at the same time, it was clear that this was a man who was entirely unable to take any responsibility for how he might have contributed to these dysfunctional relationships, including how and why he got into them in the first place, and certainly why he stayed in them. This depressive story of victimization is shot through with cynicism, the type of cynicism that presumes and assumes that people, well, this person in particular, that people lack freedom and responsibility. You see, cynics usually stand on the sidelines, passively feeling victimized, refusing to see that some of their problems are their own fault, and that therefore they might well have some freedom, some choice to make things better. Instead, their worldview is fixed, and there's no exit from its prison. So on a psychological level, the cynical belief that The way things are is the way they're supposed to be is often found at the heart of the helplessness and suffering that brings someone to therapy. But let's move backward now a little bit from the personal and upward to the political. So these dynamics are obviously at the heart of political cynicism as well. For example, we perceive quite realistically the fact that ordinary people are relatively powerless politically compared to people with a lot of money. But if we then mistakenly conclude that the system is irretrievably rigged and that we can't change it, that powerlessness is the way things are and the way they have to be, that politicians are always corrupt and don't give a whit about the needs of the little guy, if we continue to believe that, that's cynicism because we know this is only partially true at best because, you know, simply put, history has shown us time and time again that ordinary people can change the world even when they're up against entrenched, powerful interests. Unions curbed the worst excesses of unfettered industrial capitalism. Civil rights groups and movements forced the government to protect and expand voting rights. Women's groups have made substantial progress towards pay equity and against gender discrimination, and the list can go on and on. The belief that we can't challenge the powers that be is a cynical distortion of reality in the guise of being realistic, and this is the essence of cynicism. Now, one would think that given the historic success of social movements, that progressive political activists, liberal political activists, should be the last people to fall victim to cynicism. But they do, over and over again, albeit sometimes in more subtle ways. For example, consider this belief among people on the left, a belief that I think is ultimately a cynical one. Here it is. The belief goes like this. 
People will rise up and rebel against the status quo if and only if they're presented with the facts about economic injustice. That's the position. And that makes sense on one level, right? I mean, when people really confront the economic deprivation and injustice in their lives, this awareness, you know, should then motivate them to fight back and sometimes does. But this is also unfortunately a cynical view, I believe, about what makes people tick and why they get politically active. The reason that it's cynical is that it reduces people to organisms that care only about economic survival and justice. And so it follows that if you explain economic reality to people who are victimized by it, they'll rise up. That's the idea. Despite the fact that liberals and progressives have harped on this issue for decades, you know, seeking to be realistic, talking about the economy, stupid, many Americans remain politically disengaged. It hasn't worked because it's cynical. See, it turns out that basic economic needs are not foundational. They're not primary. And when the discussion turns instead to the possibility that people have very important needs for things like meaning and purpose, for recognition, for community. These motivations are deemed to be soft, and activists who argue for how important they are are seen as naively idealistic. In other words, cynicism rears its ugly head. We have to stick to the cold, hard economic facts of the matter because that's what makes people and the world go round. The problem is that it isn't. So just as I work to help my patients experience a greater freedom and sense of agency when it comes to their psychological suffering, so too we need to connect with people politically in ways that help them transcend their cynicism about changing the system. And we have to start by understanding that people want more than bread and butter. And it's only our cynicism that prevents us from helping them shoot for their highest ideals. When we try to become too realistic, too practical, we cynically sell people short, I think. And if we continue to focus only on economic oppression, we unwittingly reinforce our commitment to always, sadly, being the underdog. In fact, speaking of the underdog, my own experience is that many people on the left are in a certain way attached to being the underdog. We can feel self-righteous as long as we're not in positions of real power. This is another manifestation of cynicism. It reflects an inner resignation that, you know, the existing relationships of power are really, in the end, just inevitable. And so, as a result, we might as well go out in a self-righteous blaze of glory than stay in the fight and win incremental victories and wield real power. Because, you know, we do have a choice in the matter. The game isn't really locked. Viktor Frankl put it this way, and I'll close with this. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Thanks for listening. 
to Mysteries of the Mind podcast. To learn more about how your unconscious mind really works, please tune in next time. And be sure to visit Dr. Bader's website at michaelbader.com.